welcome to 2022 and episode 68 of this little podcast we call Two Chairs Talking. My name is Perry Middlemas and I'm here with my book lesser friend, David Grigg. Hi, how are you, Perry? What's the book lesser? What's uh, it's, hopefully I've got that um, uh, pronunciation correct. It's basically book lover in German. Oh, in German. Um, but, uh, you know, it always sounds a little bit better if you can do it in a foreign language, even if I, even if I chew, the, chew the verbs and consonants around all over the place. At least it's a little bit better. But how are you? Happy New Year. All that sort of... I'm... Pretty good, yeah. Thank you for that. Yes, we managed to get a, a family Christmas in without anybody catching the bug, and uh, we did, didn't do much on New Year. We just stayed at home, and uh, that's, that's about it. So very quiet, really. Oh well, well we um, uh, my uh, son's girlfriend unfortunately has come down with COVID, so um, we are, as we speak we are in isolation, awaiting test results, uh, assuming that. We haven't got it because we've got no symptoms and everything seems to be hunky-dory, but you've got to basically sit out your time and just Good sit point. and not leave the house. And that's yeah. basically about all you can do. So yeah. anyway, so welcome to another year of podcasting episodes. We've had a bit of a break. That uh, four weeks was quite good, quite interesting. Very, very necessary, I think. Well-deserved break, I think. Oh, yeah. A well-earned rest, I think, is well what the expression rest. is. Well-earned rest, that's right, um, that's right. Um, which uh, which is good. So, how's everything else? Oh, that's about it, really. Nothing much else exciting to talk about, I don't think. Nothing much else exciting. Yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. Well, we just finish up then, shall we? Well, we just close it down and say goodbye to everybody. Close it down, that's right. Well, I've been doing a lot of reading. Oh, okay. Well, good thing. And I've also been compiling statistics and lists, lists of best things. So, that's today's episode is going to be about that, I believe, so... Good man, good man. Good to see that you're getting the, getting into the stats and spreadsheets. And oh, look, I've gone mad. In fact, I should call up my Excel spreadsheet and have a look. I went mad years ago, so um, I don't have a problem about this. Every time I show somebody my um, reading spreadsheet, they look at me and sort of think, is it that time already? I better go. And, uh, <laughs> so they decide they'd best move out the door and stay away from me. It's like the slideshow of your European holiday, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Everybody starts snoring within within five minutes. But anyway, yep. we shall get to that a little bit later. Yes. Uh, but uh, first, we should deal with a little bit of news in the SF world. Indeed. Um, the uh, people may recall that the World Science Fiction Convention for 2021 was held in Washington, D.C. only a week or so before Christmas. And that was after our... Uh, last episode of 2021 so that we weren't able to give you the Hugo Award results, but we can do that now. And I'll quickly just run through them and then tick them off to let you know which ones I got right and which ones I didn't. Uh, Novel was won by Network Effect by Martha Wells. Uh, I had Piranesi as number one, but Martha Martha Wells' novel is number two, so I wasn't overly concerned about that one. Novella, The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo, mm-hmm. which we both liked. We both liked, yeah. And which, I, which I had as number one, so that's one tick for me. Novelette, Two Truths and a Lie by Sarah Pinska, another one that I chose. 
and the short story Metal Light Blood in the Dark uh, by T. Kingfisher, which I believe was your favourite of the I short liked stories. that one out of the yes of all the short stories. Yeah. So that wasn't bad. I got two out of four. I think I had um, the Kingfisher as number three for me, but yeah, that's all. Right. I enjoyed it, and so. I am not fussed about a single one of these um, uh, winners. I think they're all worthy winners, and I would recommend all of them to anybody that wants to read any uh, modern and current uh, science fiction. I think you probably get a good view about what's going on uh, with this, uh, with this set of four winners for the Hugo Awards for the fiction. A uh, couple of others. Best Dramatic Presentation Long was The Old Guard, which was a... Um, uh, Netflix original uh, based on a graphic novel, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, best dramatic short, um, The Good Place, episode called Whenever You're Ready. I've never been able to get into The Good Place. I don't quite, I, I don't know, I just don't get it. I've, watched, I've tried to watch a couple of episodes and just can't get through it. So anyway, that's the way it goes. Different strokes. Uh, best fan cast, um, not us. Unfortunately, oh, uh, well, missed uh, out again. Come on, come on, listeners, we need you to vote for us. Uh, was the Cood Street podcast hosted by Jonathan Strawn and Gary K. Wolf? No, oh, that's a deserved, deservedly good based one, out yeah. of Perth, Australia, which is uh, quite an excellent result. I think they've been nominated about seven or eight times previously, and mm. this is their first win. So, good on them. That's what I say. Uh, and the best series, a an award that I don't really think much of because I don't know I just can't understand why you're giving a best series award to something that hasn't finished but anyway Mm. this was won by the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells so she picked up the best novel and the best series award it is what it is some people like it it's in there this is the best series award that is some people like it good luck Tom Uh, it's there uh, we, were, we were happy that last year The Expanse by James S.A. Corey won, which is great because it had won nothing up until then, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Uh, and the last volume of that has, only, has just come out as well, so that's now, now complete. And the other news that came out of uh, the Wellcon in uh, Washington was, of course, the uh, announcement of the site for the Wellcon in 2023. And it's interesting that that will be the 81st World Science Fiction Convention. And it's interesting to note that the world in World Science Fiction Convention is being expanded just that little bit extra because for the first time ever, the Worldcon will be held in China. It has gone to Chengdu. Uh, They will be holding the convention on the 16th to the 20th of August, 2023. Uh, And... um, I'm seriously considering going to that one. I know there's a lot of uh, questions about whether you should be visiting China, given the given the government's stand on a number of different topics and things that um, they're not being very nice about. But uh, more thinking has to be done regarding this. I don't think it's a cut and dried question, um, but you know we have to basically look at it. So have you got any news um, other than that, David? No, I think that's that's about it, really. I haven't got any, anything further to add, I don't think. There's vast numbers of uh, best books of the years floating around, but uh, mm. we are going to cover, uh, go through all of those because 
We've got too much to talk about ourselves, Dave. Well, we do, we do. With our best books of 2021. Now, we have to point out to the listener here that, um, because my son asked me this when he said, asked me what we were doing this year, and he said, so what, is it just the best books that were published in 2021 or the best books you read in 2021? Well, these are the best books we read in 2021. Some of them are very old, not not new at all. Some of them will be. Some of them will be rather old. So, mm. um, uh, so that's so that's going to be useful. So, that's where we are, and that's where we're going to kick off. All so, right. how how generally, how was your reading last year in twenty twenty one? Was it up to standard or? Oh, it was great. I I reckon I had a really great year reading some terrific books, and it was hard to in some categories. It was very hard to pick, uh, you know, which say top five. I should talk about today. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a good, a good year, a good year. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people last year found a bit of lack of motivation. Uh, they did all right in twenty twenty because, oh, beauty, I get time at home um, from all the lockdowns. We can basically sit here and read all day. But from some people that I've spoken to, they found twenty twenty one to be a bit difficult. And I must admit, I had some months not continual months but you know some parts of some months where I found I just I almost couldn't face it you know I was sitting there thinking oh god no I just uh, no I'll just watching on something on tv or I'll just sit and do something else and couldn't get myself into um uh into reading as much as I could the year before uh I basically I realized that uh I didn't quite hit my um, the numbers that I had estimated, I basically, I basically gave myself a target of reading uh, 108 books for the year, but made 100, which sounds a lot for a lot of people. But basically, it wasn't what I thought I was going to be able to get to. And there's, it's interesting to see the months where I did very well and those that I didn't. And some I can explain and some I just can't. Some of it just looks like it was just a lack of motivation. But mm. I look, I enjoyed the books that I read um, and uh, in the main. Uh, so that's good. And uh, we'll talk about the ones that uh, I liked uh, coming up. But I, it was just it was just a bit flat in parts. How shall we say? Okay, so, fair enough. All right. Yep. So let's kick off with you, David. So let's start off and get going into this discussion. And we'll talk about our... Well, I think we decided on top five, didn't we? And maybe yeah. some honourable mentions, which I don't think I mentioned to you, but you can oh, figure I can it pick, out. I can pick oh, some honourable mentions, that's yeah, fine. We've, we've, we've done that in the past, so that's yeah. all right. So yeah. let's start off with um, straight science fiction. What were your best five of the year? Well, before we do that, you've mentioned the, your targets and, and so on. I thought I would just mention a couple of mine. Oh, um, okay. And uh, I set a target uh, using that Goodreads reading challenge thing that they have. I set a target of 80 books and I ended up reading 86, which is one more than shows on Goodreads because one of the books I read has not yet been published. So it, I couldn't put it up on Goodreads, but um, uh, it, it's nevertheless, that was 86 books. So I, I, that was pretty good, I thought, mm-hmm. for me. So yep. there, there we go. Now, so science fiction, let's have a look. Uh, well, there's no question that the best science fiction book I read during 2021 was Bewilderment by Richard Powers. Now, you might say, is that science fiction? Absolutely, it's science fiction. It's set in uh, slightly future time. It has uh, sort of parallels to the current situation with 
with Donald Trump, you know, there's a Donald Trump equivalent sending sending uh, all caps messages to people, broadcasting it to the world. And it, it features very much like um, Flyers for Algernon, which we certainly would agree is a science fiction novel. It, ha- it has uh, an element in there where the young boy is goes through um, not so much a physical change to his brain, but a, but a, a psychological change to his brain through, through a, a particular technology which, which someone's a bit developed. And so there are similarities, very much similarities, and, and an homage to, to, uh, to Flash for Algernon. So I, there's no question to me that science fiction. And as science fiction, it's absolutely certainly the best, uh, the best science fiction I read during the year. So I won't go in, into great detail about the book other than to say that. Uh, second on my list was Notes from the Burning Age by Claire North, which uh, I liked a lot. Sort of combines uh, thriller. She's actually quite good at writing thriller type type stories, which which are hooked around uh, some sort of um, fantasy or, in this case, science fictional theme. Which is uh, this one is set uh, far in the future where climate change has devastated the earth, and uh, people are there's a problem with people trying to resurrect old technology. The third on my list is The Kingdoms by Natasha Pulley, which was a great alternate uh, history slash time travel book, which I, I really, really liked. I've talked, we talked, I've talked about it on the podcast. Fourth on my list was The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, which, uh, although I had some criticisms of as a novel, I still, they were still definitely high on my list of of uh, of good books, um, and fifth on my list was a reread, which was Babel Seventeen by Samuel R. Delaney, which we again we've talked about on the podcast when we were doing our Hugo Time Machine. But that's that was on the list. If if I skip the ones that we read for the Hugo Time Machine, then so we might call this a, an honourable mention. I come down to Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. And uh, I had quite a few criticisms of that, but it was still a pretty entertaining read. It was very entertaining, but I, I, as a novel, I, I again, I wasn't too impressed by it. So that was my list of best five SF. Mine are mostly rereads or old books, um, older than... Well, in fact, I think my top five, none of them was published first time in uh, uh, 2021. There we go. Uh, the first one uh, that I've got is Dune by Frank Herbert. I don't think we really need to discuss this one terribly much because it's all been done to death and everybody will know that um, uh, you know it was the first winner of the, both the Hugo and Nebula Awards. Uh, it's now coming up to 60 years old for the first uh, part of the publication, which was back in 1963. And uh, it's the basis, that first part is the basis for the new film. So um, that's out. So I think everybody knows enough about June for me not to say anything more, but that was my favourite of the year. Second was The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa, uh, the Japanese um, science fiction story that I read, which wasn't actually originally published as a... Um, science fiction novel, but certainly has all of the uh, elements of it. This is the one about um, uh, how, in a future Japan, uh, the government is gradually trying to outlaw memories, and they do it in such a way that 
things do actually start to uh, disappear from people's memories. Though some people can remember things from that happened in the past, uh, and the memory police try to seek them out to um, uh, take them out of society because they're a menace. Uh, and a truly excellent and disturbing book, um, very um, apt for our last f- you know, four or five years uh, in Western society, uh, and one that I would recommend that a lot of people get a hold of and read. It really is quite excellent. My next two, which are a bit hard to separate, uh, two by Samuel R. Delaney, uh, Babel 17, which I think probably comes in third, and The Ballad of Beta 2. These are a couple of uh, uh, older novels. Babel 17 in particular is um, the one where it's set in a future part of the galaxy when there's an interstellar war between two as I recall, factions of humans, and one of them, the outsiders or the others... Um, the invaders. The invaders has a um, has a, uh, developed a language called Babel 17, which actually impacts the way people think uh, and changes the way they think uh, purely by learning the language. So that was um, uh, an excellent, uh, excellent novel. Uh, hardly seen that done before, although it is, uh, it is done in... The film uh, Arrival, which is based uh, on the um, um, uh, on the story story of your life, so that's the same sort of thing. Where basically an alien um, race comes to the Earth, uh, and the person that learns how learns their language uh, suddenly starts to realise that they are able to see things from a different time period. So that hasn't been done very often, and it's done very well in both of those. There's a novel by Jack Vance uh, called The Languages of Power, okay. which is the same concept. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I must have, I must get that because um, uh, I must have a look at that because basically there aren't all that many um, uh, usages of this particular uh, idea in science fiction, but the couple that I've read have both been very, very good. Mm. So. Oh, The Languages of Power is good too. Mm. Yep. And my last one, Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes, mm. which uh, we uh, have discussed and you just mentioned. And I don't think we really need to go to that one very much because no, no. I think a lot of people know it uh, very, very well. Sure. My Honourable Mentions, The Player of Games by Ian M. Banks, uh, which was the second of his culture novels. Uh, and... Uh, he was really starting to hit his stride uh, at this particular point. He jumped in. Um, the first one, uh, Consider Phoebus, was yeah, so yeah, it was okay. It was a it was a decent space opera, but this one was actually sophisticated and uh, quite an excellent book um, that I'm hoping to talk about further uh, when I we we do a discussion with somebody about the early culture novels. But we've got to sort of get through the the rest of the 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 first three or four in that particular series and then discuss about it. Uh, So hopefully we'll do that sometime later this year. And the other honourable mention I've got is Network Effect by um, Martha Wells, which is the one that won this year's Hugo Award. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. I like the Murderbot uh, Diary series. I think you pretty much have to read all of the novellas first before you get to this one and she's continuing to write in it as well because there's another novella that's out which I hope to get to in the next month or so. So um, so that's mine. I read 19 uh, science fiction novels um, during the year. 
possibly down on what I thought I was going to read, but that's okay. So I basically read a whole lot of other stuff. Indeed, indeed. Right, um, moving on. Uh, fantasy, David. Fantasy, yeah. Well, fantasy, I had a good year too. I don't generally. I, I tend to tell people that I don't like fantasy, but in fact, I read quite a lot of fantasy this year. I read nineteen books I would classify as as fantasy this year, uh, which is more than my science fiction. I only read thirteen science fiction books, so that's interesting. But I read some very good fantasy. I think I might work my way up from the bottom this time. I'll start with number five. Just to be different. Just to be different. So number five on my list was The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Very clever. Uh, I don't think it's horror, personally. It's it's a psychological drama. Uh, Very clever piece of of work. I'm very fond of uh, the the, uh, works by Shirley Jackson that I've read so far, and I'm looking forward to reading more of hers. Uh, number four on my list was a book called The Dragon Waiting by John M. Ford, which I hadn't read before, but is apparently a classic of the of the genre. It won uh, the World Fantasy Award, I think, in 1985 or something like that. And um, it's, uh, it's a very clever alternate history, and it takes a while to figure out what the, uh, the turning, the switch point is, the changing point. You had a term for that. What was it? The John Barr point? Oh, uh, Yes. Yeah, the, well, the, 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 whatever it is that, that turns the alternate history away from our own timeline. And it takes a while to figure out what that is. Um, and that, the book's been out for 20-odd years, so I don't think I'm giving away a spoiler by, by saying that it turns out that it's really the, um, the Emperor Julian of the Byzantine Empire is actually successful in uh, suppressing Christianity. And so in this medieval world, it's set in the um, 14, late 1400s. Um, in, so a lot of the timeline is, is the same. A lot of bits of history, a lot of kings and queens and so on are the same. But there's this, this difference. Um, and the Byzantine Empire is, um, uh, didn't get uh, overtaken by Islam uh, in, and uh, is, in fact, still going very strong and, in fact, trying to expand uh, the borders of, of the empire. And it's got four really good characters in it. So again, I, I, this, I don't want to do a full review here, but it's really excellent. Really, really liked it. Okay, uh, so the number three on my list was She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. Now again, this is a kind of, yeah, kind of an alternate history, I suppose. But it's really set in uh, 1300s China um, at the, uh, the close of a particular dynasty. Um, and uh, it features a particular character, a girl, who she's, uh, her brother is given, her brother's fortune is told, and it says that he's going to become very great, he's going to be a fantastic person, and do things which will be, uh, which will be uh, known for generations. But then the brother dies, and she, uh, she takes over his identity and uh, goes forth to, uh, to become a leader. I've done a full review previously on the podcast, so I won't go into any more detail, but it's, it's a very good book. It's an Australian author, um, so that's a good thing too. Second on my list is The Pursuit of William Abbey, which I just read. Uh, in fact, just finished reading it before the, uh, before the new year. And this is by Claire North again. And another really cracking book by, by Claire North. What can we say about it? Uh, I don't want to do a full review here now, but... Um, one of the things, the things, one of the things I really like about Claire North's book is, books is the way that she comes up with this fascinating but unlikely concept, and then spins a sort of gripping story around it. 
and she plums the concept to its logical depths. She, you know, she keeps on pushing and pushing. If it, if this was the case, then what would happen? Then what would happen? And what would happen? Now, in, in the pursuit of William Abbey, the concept is that of a curse uh, that invokes a shadow which relentlessly follows the person who is being cursed, uh, with dire results should it catch them. And uh, this was this was terrific. I really really like this. This is why it's second on my list. And first on my list, the top fantasy I read in 2021 was The Rain Hern by Robbie Arnott. I don't think there's any doubt that it's fantasy. Um, and, no, I'd uh, go with that. Yeah, it's just excellent, excellent stuff. So, yeah, uh, that was, uh, and we've talked about it a number of times on the podcast, so I won't, I won't revisit it. But, yes, that was, that was great. Okay. I only read eight uh, fantasy novels this year, uh, and I'll start at the top and I'll be able to go through mine pretty quickly because the top three are all from the same trilogy that is uh, Wizard of Earthsea the Earthsea trilogy oh, right. the yep. first three books in that particular series all by Ursula K Le Guin and I've put them in order of a Wizard of Earthsea first uh, which is the first of the three the Father of Shaw which is the third of the three and the Tombs of Atuan which is the second uh, and i the Wizard of Ursi and The Father Shaw are two of my favourite ever books. Uh, I came to this particular series late. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many times I've now read them, probably four or five times. Um, these are probably ones that I will read at least once more uh, at some point or other because I always find something a little bit extra every time I go into them. Uh, and I was hearing, I was listening to a... Uh, an episode of the wonderful um, uh, podcast backlisted the other day while I was watering the garden. And they made the point that they don't talk about children's literature or YA or books for children. These are books for people. They can be big people, they can be small people, but they're books for people. And these books, which were originally published as Puffins, and as such, I would, at the time that the first one was written, which would have been about or late 60s, I probably would have skimmed over it because by that stage I thought I had moved on from what Puffin was publishing, in which case that was a very, very big mistake on my behalf because these are books that, deal with the big questions of life. Life, death, power, greed, ambition, knowledge, all these big things that really good literature covers, and these cover it in spades, absolutely. I cannot recommend these three books highly enough to anybody with even any inkling of good writing or any any urge to read good writing um, in whatever genre. These are as they're just wonderful stuff. So those three were the top ones. Um, the next one was a bit of a bit of a shock to me at least, in that it uh, is a book by Rebecca Rowanhorse called Black Sun. I had read uh, one previous novel of hers which I thought was uh, sort of okay, but this one I was quite taken with, uh, given that it dealt with a uh, it dealt with a fantasy element that was not based purely and simply on the European sort of style. It was based a lot on um, uh, Asian 
African Caribbean and brought a whole lot of stuff in. Uh, and that was uh, really an excellent, excellent book. Dealt with that one in a big way um, in the podcast earlier on. And the other one also that I dealt with was The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. This is Anne Leckie's first fantasy novel after she had done very well uh, with her major series of um, ancillary justice um, and so on, series of um, SF novels. Uh, and so this was a bit of a bit of a, well, a bit of a step to one side for Anne Leckie, I thought. Um, but she handled it pretty well, not as well as the ancillary justice um, that the ancillary series was uh, was was done, but it was quite a decent uh, fantasy novel. Honourable mention I give to uh, Queen of the Conquered by Case and Calendar, uh, which won the World Fantasy Award a year or so back. Uh, that was also uh, quite an excellent book and also dealt with much more of a non-European style fantasy. So I was quite pleased to be able to, um, uh, to get through that. So there was some good stuff there. Let's see, there were three old, older books and three newer books in that list of six. Very good. I wanted to add a, an honourable mention to my fantasy list, if I could. Yes. And that would, have, would be The End of the Day by Claire North. So two Claire Norths, really, uh, in, my, in my list uh, of uh, fantasy, best fantasy. So, uh, that, again, I won't talk about the detail of that, but it's, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that very much too. So one, one would actually start to think you were becoming a bit fixated with Claire North. I'm, I'm very much a, a Claire North fan. Well, that's good. That's good to know. That's good to know. She is quite an excellent writer. So I've been catching up with some of the, her books that I hadn't read um, before, so yeah. All right. Next category we're going to deal with, uh, crime, thriller, spy, mystery, all that sort of um, stuff that you want to put together. Crime is always a difficult category to to choose the best five because you can read some darn good books. And I read some darn good books during during the year, and so it was, it was really tricky. So um, I'll go from top to bottom. Um, the best crime novel I read, uh, without any question, I think, was Eden by Candice Fox. This was only her second novel. It's the second in a trilogy, uh, what I would call the Hades trilogy. But this was a cracker. Was really, really good. It, it's got a number of really interesting elements. Uh, one is the backstory to the character Hades Archer, or Heinrich Archer, as he starts off. Um, and he's growing up as a child, which is really fascinating in itself. And then there's the whole who done it sort of side of things, and uh, Eden Archer um, working undercover at this farm and uh, trying to work out who has been killing off young women there, and very, very shattering ending, shattering ending, very good. And the second on my on my list uh, was Hades, which is the first in that trilogy. <laughs> so the whole trilogy it was very good. The third on my list is Bitter Wash Road by Gary Disher. And uh, that's the first in his trilogy about uh, Paul Hirschhausen uh, in South Australia. Uh, that was great. And in fact, the, the fourth on my list is Peace, which is the, the second in that trilogy. And the fifth on my list is a very different one. So the fifth on my list is a book called Lemon. And I'll get the author's name. The, this is Lemon by Kwon Yeo Sun. And it's translated from the Korean by Janet Hong, first published in Korea in 2019. This is a very clever, if short, crime novel. Um, very little spelled out explicitly, but it's much as implied. 
again, I, I can't do a full review here, but it's really, really, really good stuff. Very short, really, but uh, excellent, excellent. So that was the fifth on my list. And then we go to Honourable Mentions um, Consolation, which is the third in the Hirschhausen series by Gary Disher, and The Wife and the Widow by Christian White, um, which was good. Yep, so that's, that's my list. Uh, okay, uh, some of those will be appearing on mine, which is interesting. Uh, I read 22 uh, novels that you consider to be crime, thriller, or spy novels this year. Uh, my Best of the Year was Ordinary Grace by William Kent Kruger, which I absolutely loved. Um, this won a major crime award, won an Edgar, I think it was. Um, I gave it to uh, my father um, a few years back, uh, and he enjoyed it. And my stepmother also enjoyed it greatly. And she said that it was one of the best books she'd read in a very long time. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't read crime novels at all. So I nabbed it um, and read it last year, and it's wonderful. It's one of those books that has a crime or even two crimes or even three in the background. And while they are important, it's more... The novel is more about the town and the people and the interactions between the town and the people in the Midwest, in the Midwest of the US in the early 1960s, a wonderful piece of writing, and he is going to be somebody that I'm going to have to follow up with um, when I find the time, David, if I ever find the time, to catch up on some of these, uh, because uh, he's certainly one that I would think needs to be followed. My second was a Ned Kelly Award winner, Crossing the Lines by Solari Gentile. This is the um, the weird one that I spoke about at the end of last year where uh, the two main characters are both of them writers writing novels where the other character, um, the other character in Gentile's novel is the protagonist in each of the writer's novels. You're really going to have to go back and listen to the <laughs> podcast episode yeah. about this because it gets really confusing. Uh, but it's a wonderful piece of work and... Ooh, it could have fallen flat on its face if you had somebody who didn't know what they were doing and couldn't write it properly. Ooh, you needed somebody with a fair amount of talent to bring it all, all together, and it would have been very, very diff- difficult to, um, to land the ending, but she does, good. which is good. My third, another Ned Kelly Award winner, The Wife and the Widow by Christian White, which we uh, discussed and which we went at great pains, David, as I recall, not to give away any spoilers regarding this particular novel because there is one big... There's one big piece of writing expertise in this that you need to not be forewarned about. However, it is certainly a cracker of a book. Uh, Again, hurled together very, very well. And this guy is another one that needs to be watched because he has a lot of talent. And it's good to know that he's Australian with a lot of talent, which is good. Sure. My third, Consolation by Gary Disher. Oh, I keep on coming across Gary Disher all the time, but this is, the, as, as you mentioned, the third in his trilogy about Paul Hirschhausen uh, set in um, the eastern part of the mid-north of South Australia, so not quite my own territory, but near enough. Uh, and uh, I thought this was um, an excellent book, one that, um, another one that, you know, if, you, if you're interested in Australian crime, 
you need to be reading Gary Disher. In fact, you need to be reading Gentile White and Gary Disher mm-hmm. and Candace Fox and... And Sarah Bailey. And Sarah Bailey and um, uh, Devlin McKeonan and about four or five others. Jane Harper. Jane Harper, there you go. You need to have, we need to be reading all of these. We've got so many good crime writers. Oh, we certainly do. And it's just, it's just exploded um, in the last five to ten years. It's been fantastic. Mm. And the books just are consistently excellent. My last, Billy Summers by Stephen King. This is one that I haven't spoken about on. Uh, the podcast as yet. Maybe I will in a couple of episodes. I won't go into it too much detail, but uh, this is uh, Stephen King's latest uh, novel, and it is only a crime novel. Now, a lot of people would think, oh, Stephen King, I'm not going to read Stephen King. It's all about horror and supernatural stuff. Not a skerrick of it in this particular book. I've actually given it to my wife. She's not a big horror or supernatural um, fan, so she's got it on the side of the, the bed to get through after she powers through all of the um, books we got for Christmas, which he's doing at a great rate of knots at the moment. Uh, but Billy Summers is, he's an ex-sniper um, for the Marines, uh, worked in um, uh, Iraq. He's back in the US and he has been recruited by a number of crime figures over the uh, the last 15 or so years to carry out um, assassinations using um, uh a sniper's rifle. Uh, so he is very, very good at his job, but he has a number of conditions, namely that he has to be convinced that the person he's killing is actually a bad man, a bad person. He doesn't kill women, he doesn't kill children. So there has to be a bad man that this person is going to kill. He's called in, he's decided he's going to give it up because he's had it. He doesn't want to do this anymore. So he's brought in for one last kill. And the money that he's offered is sort of outrageously large and it takes him a long time because he has to get sort of settled into the small country town in which he's going to um, take uh, kill this person uh, and he has to basically settle into the building from which he's going to take the take take the shot so that he becomes part of the the background and King as he does normally deals with small towns in America and the people and the interactions between the people remarkably well. But it's in two parts because the assassination takes place only about halfway through the book and then he's on the run because of this huge amount of money that somebody uh, has put up for him to do this. He realised that, yes, he was going to carry it out because the guy did deserve to die, but he's very, very wary about the people that have employed him and he's very worried about it. It's an excellent book. It's in the crime genre, not in the supernatural, as I stated earlier. Maybe doesn't have that absolute and utter sparkle of Stephen King from his earlier days, but I've said this before about him recently. But average run-of-the-mill Stephen King is still better than vast bulks of mm-hmm. other stuff that's out there floating around. Mm-hmm. He's just a damn good writer. Honourable mentions to the Honjin Murders by Seishi uh, Yokomizo, a Japanese um, book from the 40s, I think it was. Uh, Locker Room Mr. Murder Mystery, uh, excellent, excellent book. Uh, number, the second of these, A Song for the Dark Times, Ian Rankin. This is the most recent 
uh, Inspector Rebus novel from the year before last. R- uh, Rankin's novel from 2021 is uh, a collaboration with another Vict- um, Scottish crime writer, William McIlvaney, who um, wrote the Laidlaw series of books, only three of them in that. This was this book, that his new book, is based on uh, some notes that McIlvaney left behind. Uh, so that's the one that I'll be reading coming up in January, hopefully, got it for Christmas. Uh, this one is an Inspector Rebus novel. And the, the last of the honourable mentions here is Get Shorty by Elmore Leonard, uh, which um, uh, is follows the adventures of Chili Palmer um, uh, as he uh, attempts to try and track down somebody that um, owes uh, his employer some money and he has to track him down to uh, Hollywood and when he gets there he suddenly gets involved into the Hollywood film industry and it's, it was made into a very memorable film with John Travolta in the lead role as um, uh, Chili Palmer and uh, this would have been... 20-odd years ago, I think it was probably made. So Get Shorty is uh, probably written in the 80s or 90s. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, excellent Elmore Leonard stuff. He's He does, he does dialogue such, so beautifully well. It just crackles on the page, and you sort of think, this, you know, this is thrill. You could see somebody doing a film adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel and just putting all the the the... the the camera directions around the outside of the dialogue are just letting it rip because the dialogue's all there and you just let it go and people can just easily say it because it just sounds like it comes out of somebody's mouth where a lot of dialogue feels a bit forced. This isn't. This just sounds like somebody actually said it. Hmm. So that's mine. So Hmm. I had a good year on the uh, crime and thriller stuff. Um, Really enjoyed the year, 22 novels. and So more than any other category. Well, in fact, uh, now that I look at my numbers, uh, I think I read uh, exactly the same number, 22 crime okay. novels. There we are. But they were different novels. Yeah. All right, so we're on, to, we're on to what we now call literary or non-genre or yeah, yeah. things that don't fit into the other categories. Yes, that's Category. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The, the top of my literary, non-genre, whatever list, is uh, The Labyrinth by Amanda Lowry, which I, I liked a lot. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast a fair bit, so I won't go over it. Second on my list was a book we disagree about fairly strongly, uh, Perry, um, The Bass Rock, um, but uh, it was second on my list. And again, we talked we talked about it a fair length on the podcast. Third on my list is a very long book, a very long book indeed. Uh, third on my list for literary is Clarissa, or The History of a Young Lady by Samuel Richardson, one of the longest novels in the English language ever written and uh, all in the form of letters. And uh, I, it was a production I did for Standard Ebooks, but I enjoyed it a good deal. It tells you, you know, this, it was written in 1748, but it, uh, it still has a lot of home truths to say about uh, men and women and how their relationships and the way that men dominate women and gaslight them and, uh, and, and how, ven- you know, how vanity can lead to a downfall. It's, 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 it's a good book. It's well worth reading, even though it's so long. Anyway, that's number three. And number four uh, was a book that was on the Booker Prize shortlist. Didn't get onto the, sorry, on the Booker Prize long list. It didn't get onto the shortlist, uh, which was Light Perpetual by Francis Spufford. And it really, this really follows the, um, the history of, uh, of the lives of five children who uh, could have been killed in, in, a, 
in a bombing during World War Two in a particular department store, and he, t- he imagines these five lives if uh, if this bombing hadn't occurred. And uh, it's it's so the, the histories take you all the way through from the end of the Second World War up to essentially to the modern day, and. Uh, it's an interesting series of snapshots of British society throughout that uh, that period of time. And the fifth on my list uh, is uh, Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami. Uh, really excellent uh, novel without any fantasy type elements or anything to it. But uh, again, I won't go into any detail, I don't think, here. Um, Honourable mentions would be The Women in Black by Madeleine St. John. And uh, maybe maybe the Glass Hotel by Evelyn St. John Mandel, um, which uh, again we've talked about. I'm not sure I've talked about the Glass Hotel, but it, I quite liked it. But it, this isn't the time for a full review. So, and again, there's no fantasy elements in uh, in the Glass Hotel, other than maybe you could argue there's some ghosts in it, but you know, it's just what it may just be people's impressions that they might have had so yeah I, I think i think we can safely say this is a that was a a non-genre novel yeah so that's it was a, a pretty good uh, pretty good year for me for that i read um 17 books that would fit into that that category quite a few of them would have been projects i did for standard ebooks so i did uh, a bit of george Eliot uh, and uh, a bit of charles dickens uh, but they didn't hit my uh, a bit of Anthony Trollope, but they didn't hit my top five out of that category. Well, you could almost basically say there's some, well, there's some ghosts in uh, Bass Rock, so um, well, you could. there's a little bit of little bit yeah. of the, the not fake. enough not enough to push it into fantasy. No, not really. No, no that's fair enough. Uh, on my side, I read eleven that I would uh, put down as being literary. Not really as many as I wanted to read. Um, uh, but again, this is probably partly because of uh, the lack of motivation I had in some parts of the year uh, and then having to read some things that we had set uh, for each other and other little reading projects that I had going. So my top five, The Yield, is number one for Tara June Wench. Um, I know a lot of people that read this weren't very impressed with it, I believe. Uh, they didn't feel the writing was up to the standard. I thought it was pretty good. It won a, um, a Miles Strickland Award. Uh, and uh, I got a very good uh, view of uh, the problems that um, uh, some of the Indigenous community have uh, in recreating and claiming their own language. Uh, because if you lose your language, you're going to lose your culture. If you lose your culture, you've lost just about everything. And uh, I thought this was handled um, exceptionally well. Second, First Loved by Terzhenev. This is, uh, well, a Russian Russian novel, um, almost novella length, but it's published and listed as a novel. Um, so I've put it here as a novel. And this is always a bit of a problem with some of these ones that are mm. of, a, of a particular length. You don't know whether to put it in one category or another. I've just plunked it here as uh, literary because, well, okay, if it's a novella, it's a novella, and here it goes. We, we deal with novellas coming up, but I look at those as genre uh, pieces. This one is literary. Uh, this is about um, uh, six, a 16-year-old young man who goes for a... Um, uh, summer in the country with uh, some relatives and falls in love with a, um, a young woman who's a couple of years older than him in the house next door. And uh, it's told 
from the point of view of an older man sitting around a fire in the middle of winter with a couple of uh, his mates on the, you know, having cigars and drinking brandy or whatever and discussing their first loves. And he tells this story and, and it sort of pretty much dumbfounds all the rest of them. And they, <laughs> you don't get to hear the others, but then you don't want to because this one's just handled so well. And it's him just learning what life is all about. And you might think that what does a short novel about Russian landed gentry have to, uh, from uh, the 19th century have to do with me in the 21st? Well, it's human nature. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, thing, a lot of things about human nature stay exactly the same. And, yeah, well, this is uh, the thing about Clarissa. You yeah. know, it's just human nature that, that's showing. Yeah. That's basically what it is, and you realise how little it actually changes mm. uh, over over the journey. I mean, that, if you were to try and read this when you're sort of like, 16 or 17, unless you're of a fairly literary uh, bent, you probably think, oh, God, this is boring. This guy's got nothing to say to me. But as we get older, David, as we've said before, there is a lot of these books that we would have turned our noses up when we were younger, which when we read now, actually have something really, really interesting to say to us. And this one had a fair bit to say to me as well. Uh, Not that I ever fell in love with anybody two years older than me when I was 16, but it's neither here nor there. It's just that it has something to say. Uh, third on my list is The Labyrinth by Amanda Lowry, who, which, also, which won last year's um, Miles Franklin Miles Awards. Franklin, so, yep. so that's two. Uh, an excellent novel told from the point of view of a woman who is um, trying to find some meaning in her life after uh, her son is convicted uh, and of a fairly major, uh, major crime. Um, a crime of... Um, of neglect on his behalf because he didn't take notice of what was happening when he was trying to burn things and set fire to a building and a couple of people died and she's trying to rebuild her life based on that while she also tries to help him rebuild his while he's in jail and it's all about the uh, the building of a labyrinth and the people that she meets that help her along her journey and um, a quiet but deep novel uh, and certainly one that I would recommend. Another one that I read, but this is from some time ago, uh, another uh, text publishing Australian classic novel, The Watchtower by Elizabeth Harrower. Uh, A difficult relationship uh, between a young woman who marries, um, well, a bit of a bastard, really, and... uh, she has to, she feels as though she has to marry this guy uh, to help look after a younger sister to provide to them for them after uh, the the two girls' father dies and the mother just decides oh well I'm just going back to England and just leaves them at the age of about eighteen and sixteen and just doesn't come back. So this is the story of um, uh, the woman who is uh, manipulated and gaslit and again all of those things that we are seeing a lot more of in, uh, in literature these days, but handled by Elizabeth Harrow and handed, handled very well. It's a difficult book to read because um, there's uh, the relationships between the people in this are really quite harrowing. My last on the list, The Devil's Advocate by Morris West. This is uh, the one where uh, the Vatican sends uh, a dying priest out to check, check out... Um, uh, the possible sanctification of a uh, Italian, or was he Italian? A man in Italy, anyway, who um, 
uh, was helping the village with uh, during the period of the Second World War when they were uh, uh, under the control of the German army. Uh, excellent book, although there has a couple of things that um, people need to be aware of, but I mentioned those in my review. Uh, I enjoyed this, and um, I need to go and read some more of Morris West's books because uh, it's been a fair while since I've touched any of them, and um, I was I was taken with this. I don't have any honourable mentions in this particular category, David. Okay. Um, no. I only read eleven, uh, and there's a top five, so that's you know close to half. So the rest of them, mm. rest of them, yeah. No absolute stinkers, but um, nothing that stood out and said I have absolutely utterly had to mention it. All right, so what do we have next, uh, Perry? Oh, we're moving next on to novellas, which I suppose. No, novellas, right. Yes, that's right. So these are the, for those people that are, uh, need a bit of reminding, these are the sometimes called short novels. They sit between about 15 and 40,000 words, so not up to the novel length. So anywhere between, say, 70, 75 pages and 130, 140 pages, if you like. It's all done with word counts, so up to 40,000 words, short novel length. All right, um... So uh, all of these, I think, I read for uh, either for the discussion of the current Hugo's or for a Hugo time machine. Uh, so number one on my list, uh, number one on my list is The Last Castle by Jack Vance. Excellent uh, short novel by him uh, about a far future time when uh, mankind has uh, mostly deserted the earth, um, and uh, he's uh, he's become very. Uh, very laid back and uh, elegant and uh, refined and, and able to think about the, the lesser things of life. And uh, so the lesser things in life catch up with them in a big way. <laughs> All right, the next on my list uh, is uh, The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo, which uh, we've talked about uh, and which just won the Hugo novella uh, category. Um, this year's Hugo's. Uh, so again, I won't talk about it at great length. We've talked about it on the podcast, uh, but yeah, it's good, good stuff. It, it it didn't have much of the way. It could have been listed as not fantasy, really, because it's more like a historical um, uh, book, which which looks back at the history of a particular empress uh, of this of this place. So it's only fantasy in the extent that it's set in a, a non-existent place, as far as I'm concerned. There's no not really any other fantasy elements to it apart from the talking parrot oh yeah apart from the talking parrot <laughs> apart from the talking parrot yeah third fourth and fifth on my list were all um books from the wayward children series by um uh, sean and mcguire and um so i in just the order i've got list, them listed um every heart of doorway which was the first in that wayward children series um, second was Down Among the Sticks and Bones, which is the second book in that series, and Come Tumbling Down, which I think is the fourth or fifth, and that was up for the best novella this this year at the Hugo's, um, and that's my that's my top five. No, no, uh, no, no uh, honourable mentions. No honourable mentions. All right, I read sixteen novellas for the year, and the best of them um, was. Behold the Man by uh, Michael Moorcock, which ended up winning a um, Nebula Award. We'll be discussing this further uh, in uh, the Hugo Time Machine. I know it seems odd that we're going to be talking about the um, a novella that won the Nebula for the Hugo Time Machine, but it should really have been up for uh, the, 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 the Hugo the previous year. Uh, this is a weird one in that um, it was originally published in the 
UK in New Worlds magazine, or was it SF Impulse? Can't remember which one. Uh, but uh, it was published in a UK professional science fiction magazine, which made it ineligible for a Nebula Award in the year in which it was published, and probably made it difficult for uh, Hugo voters in the US to see the publication, uh, and it was only became eligible to be um, for a Nebula Award the year later after it had been picked up in uh, the year's best uh, uh, stories that were published. And then suddenly, here it is, even though it's been published the year before that, it's suddenly, because it's been published for the first time in the US, suddenly becomes eligible for the Nebula Award. The, the, uh, the Hugo people didn't still didn't follow it up because, of course, it had already been published and they missed it, so that was a bit of a problem. Uh, we'll be talking about that a bit later. It's one of the great... Um, uh, SF novellas of all time, I believe. Um, mm. no, I agree. Uh, and we will deal with it a bit more. It's about uh, it's a time time travel story about the search for the real Jesus. I'll leave it at that, and we'll talk about that a bit later. My second one was The Last Castle by Jack Vance, which you had number one, so I won't discuss that. Odd how we keep coming across the same same. Oh stuff. no, no, not at all. Not at all. Oh, well, we got the same same high level of taste, David. Is indeed, that what it is? Indeed. Uh, my third is The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo. Uh, again, you had that as number two, and I've got that at number three. My third one was the horror novella Mapping the Interior by Stephen Graham Jones, uh, which I really quite enjoyed. I'm going to have to um, have a look at a few more of Stephen Graham Jones's work. Uh, he deals with the experiences of the American... Uh, Plains Indians um, and uh, their cultures work into his horror and supernatural stories and he has uh, he published a couple of uh, interesting looking things during 2021 which I need to follow up on and my fifth is Seven of Infinities by Elliot Bodard this is um, set in her future Southeast Asian style um, galactic empire and uh, is another of sort of like a crime, it's almost like a crime novella uh, for, uh, but set, uh, but set in the future. She's, I think I've, I've discussed this on the, on the podcast. She's um, uh, an excellent and very, very interesting writer indeed. My honorable, only honorable mention I'll make is Riot Baby by uh, Tochi Onabuchi. Uh, which was up for the Hugo Award and which we discussed at some length. But I'd, uh, I'd recommend people read all of those and I'd recommend they read all the ones that um, uh, you've chosen. I mean, we are, we're picking these out of... Uh, so I've got six out of 16. Um, there was a number of others that I could have basically put onto this, but they had just fallen down below... Level six, basically, um, and so uh, I didn't want to include them on on this particular list. But uh, certainly, any of the top five should be read. And there's a mixture there of old and new, which indeed, is, indeed, which is good. Uh, so, moving on to the next category, David, uh, you're going to deal with something just slightly different from me. Quite a lot different from you, I think. Yeah, this is my this is my category uh, of children's literature. And some of these you might call young adult, but mostly they're the books I read were a bit earlier 
um, age aimed at a bit earlier age than that, I would have thought. So number one on my list without any question was uh, a book called The End of the World is Bigger Than Love by Davina Bell. Australian author. In fact, it won the Children's Book Council of Australia. This, they don't call it best novel, it's, but it basically it's their, their, their best uh, novel for that age group anyway, which is um, for older, somewhat older children, but not quite young adult. I, I thought this was terrific. It's a science fiction. Um, it's also very, um, very cleverly done psychological drama. Um, two girls... Uh, uh, left by left on this island after there's been a worldwide catastrophe of some sort, and uh, their father has taken them to this island to flee the the consequences, and uh, then he gets well. According to what the, one of these two uh, two girls, uh, he's been kidnapped by ninjas, um, and uh, but the, the interesting thing about the book is that that these two twin girls start to tell slightly different tales about what's happened and what's going on. And, you you know, the, the, you realise that one of them at least, and possibly both, is what we might call a, a, an unreliable narrator. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very cleverly done. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. And they say it won, it won, uh, it has won awards. So I can't be the only person who thinks it's terrific. The second uh, on my list is a book uh, called Utterly Dark and the Face of the Deep, by Philip Reeve, which I think I talked about on the last episode of the podcast. Terrific, uh, terrific book uh, set in a slightly different, uh, what would we say, uh, Regency period of, of England, but uh, set on an island called Wild Sea. And uh, young Utterly Dark is, a, is the character. Um, and uh, the people on the island are very afraid of a, a monster called the Gorm, which... Uh, periodically comes and ravages the ravages the island but there's a connection between utterly dark and and the gorm which you don't find out until quite a bit into the book good stuff really good stuff uh third book on my list in this category was rooftoppers by Catherine rundell rundell Catherine rundell i suppose um and uh it's again it's, it's cleverly done it's not it's not fantasy though it's it's basically uh, about the, this uh, young child who's found floating in the water after a shipwreck, uh, after a big liner has gone down. And she's um, she's raised by the person who rescues her from the water, who's a bachelor called Charles. Um, forget the second name at the moment. But um, the, as she gets older, she wants to decide she wants to find her, her mother, uh, if her mother survived the, 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 the sinking of the ship, and she wants to track her down. And so they... The the only clue they've got is the is the cello case in which the baby was found floating after the after the uh, after the, the shipwreck, and uh, they find a label inside which is the name of the manufacturer, and so they go to Paris, where the thing was uh, the case was made to try and track down her mother, which uh, and that's the the, the the whole interest of the story. It's very well done, very clever. Fourth on my list is uh, John Diamond by Leon Garfield historical novel set in late 1700s um, London. Young boy uh, believes his father has uh, wronged someone, his father's died, and he, he wants to, to kind of, kind of um, recompense the, 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 uh, the people his father has done wrong to. But things turn out very differently than he expects. Very clever. 
And the fifth book, I think I'm up to five years, the fifth book on my list is The Scarecrow and His Servant, a lot of fun by um, Philip Pullman about the about a, a, a scarecrow who um, comes alive and uh, takes on a, a young boy as his servant. That's good stuff. Um, and that's it. No, no honourable mentions there. OK, well, my um, uh, category this time, uh, which is the last of the fiction categories that we're going to be covering um, at this point, uh, is a combination of collections, single author collections and anthologies. Uh, I read 17 of these because I was doing a fair bit of reading for the um, short fiction for 1965, but also uh, reading some collections for our Hugo Time Machine uh, discussions. Uh, then, and coming up uh, in the early part of this year, uh, but I've only got two that I really want to mention and talk about. Uh, the first of these is The Book of Dragons, by uh, edited by uh, Jonathan Strawn. We mentioned Jonathan earlier when he won the uh, the Best Fancast Hugo this year for uh, the Coo Street podcast. Well, Jonathan's also a major short fiction um, editor and anthologist. And this Book of Dragons is uh, an excellent, uh, well, it's a excellent collection of stories about dragons, um, which sort of bit of a giveaway from the title, I guess. But you get all different sorts of dragons here. You get the um, the classic... Uh, you get the classic uh, European-style dragon flying through the air, breathing fire, uh, fighting um, against uh, armoured knights. But then you also get a whole lot of other different types of dragons as well. Those that take human form uh, and those that are a bit bigger than birds and become a pest in a small country town um, uh, because they just invade and then a bit like sort of a like massively huge flock of cockatoos only much bigger and strip the trees and cause everybody trouble all over the place and there's the mechanical ones made dragons as well uh, it gives you the full one and the full gamut uh, it was published a couple of years ago it sort of follows on from and I'm not saying that Jonathan stole the idea but um uh, and I'm not saying that he did, but the uh, it follows on from Garda Dozois' uh, uh, Book of Magic and Book of Swords, uh, which he published in the few years before his uh, uh, death a couple of years back. But this uh, is really worth following up if you have a an interest in dragons at all. Uh, beautifully illustrated and beautifully put together, a wonderful um, a wonderful volume. Enjoyed it a lot. The other one uh, that I want to mention is uh, Nebula Award Stories 3, edited by Roger Zelazny. Now, you might think, oh, come on. What can be so good about Nebula Nebula Award Stories? Well, let me read out the stories, because there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, there's seven or eight of the stories in here. Let me read out the stories that are in this, and then uh, then you can see what I'm talking about. The first is The Cloud Sculptors of Coral D by J.G. Ballard. Pretty Maggie Muddy Eyes by Harlan Ellison, um, uh, the first of Ellison's that I've read as I'm working my way through the 1960s, which I think it actually works. Mirror of Ice by Gary Wright. I and Gomorrah by Samuel R. Delaney. Gonna Roll the Bones by Fritz Lieber. Behold the Man, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, by Michael Moorcock. And Weir Search by Anne McCaffrey. Now, I basically enjoyed... 
well, I enjoyed all of them to some extent or another. And I, um, I, I generally, what I do when I go through, I go through um, uh, anthologies is I put a mark by them to say whether I enjoyed them a lot or I just thought they were so-so or didn't like them at all. And then I count up the number that I've given a sort of a star rating to uh, to give an idea of whether it's above or below par. And par, of course, is 50% being starred and 50% unstarred. Well, the Weir search by Emma McCaffrey was the only one that I didn't put a star on against this one. So if you are looking for uh, a an anthology of stories that represents mid-late 1960s, because these are all stories from 1967, although Behold the Man was from 1966, of course. Uh, but if uh, these are stories from 1967, and uh, they are all excellent. So you're right, you're right smack in the middle of the what was referred to as the new wave, uh, coming out. This was the year that um, Ellison's Dangerous Visions was uh, was released. And in fact, the Fritz Leiber uh, Gotta Roll the Bones and I and Gamora by Samuel R. Delaney were both published in Dangerous Visions. Uh, so two of the, the stories in this particular anthology also appeared, appeared there. This is, um, yeah, for a short chunky little um, anthology for the um, 1967-1968. This is about as good as you're going to get. Uh, and it's the third of the Nebula Award stories edited by Roger Zelazny. Didn't have any other... Um, I didn't have any other honourable mentions. Uh, basically, sort of so-so. And what we're dealing with here is the best of the year. And I didn't want to put the other ones up into this particular level because I don't think they quite made it. The diff As I was trying to say with the anthologies, a lot of the time they can be very bitsy. You know, the, you'll get you'll get some anthologies where there's two or three cracker stories in it and about eight or so just so-so. So it drags it all down, which is rather unfortunate, but the just, just what happens. Uh, but these two, Book of Dragons and Nebula Ward Stories 3, I would both recommend. The only uh, book in, that, uh, in vaguely in that category for me is uh, I read a collection of Shirley Jackson stories, The Lottery, which is brilliant. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, yeah. we can we can add that one into the best of the year then. I, not one yeah. that I've read, but... Um, yeah. And so uh, The Lottery is a what would be referred to as a single author single collection. Single author collection, yeah. 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 All right, so the anthologies are basically edited by something with a large number of different uh, different authors, but, so, but I've put them all in together. Uh, so that finishes our fiction categories, David. All right, uh, so we're on to non-fiction. We're up to non-fiction, and then all we'll right. go into our overall best. So non-fiction for you. All right, sure. bit difficult to get these in, in a, a good order, I think. But nevertheless, I'll, I'll, I'll give it in the order I've got it. So um, first on my list is A Promised Land by a certain uh, Barack Obama. Uh, and it's the story, really, of his first couple of years as, as president, um, well, kind of the lead up to is about the campaign to become president, the election, and, and uh, his first couple of years in office. Very, very interesting. Very, very good. He's such a good writer. Uh, it's well worth reading. Um, second on my list is Lift Off, subtitle uh, Elon Musk and the Desperate Early Days that Launched SpaceX, which was 
really excellent, really, really interesting uh, history of, of those early days and uh, how close they came to not, not making it and how the company not being a success or they came very, very close to failure. That's very good. Um, third on my list is Sapiens, A Brief History, history of Humankind by, if I can get the name right of the author, Yuval Noah Harari. Is that right? And uh, that was, I think I did talk about it on the podcast a fair bit. So it's really, um, yeah, as it says, a brief history of mankind, looking at um, uh, how how we developed and some of the things that you wouldn't think about, uh, you wouldn't sort of uh, common sense would, would tell you different things about how actually uh, actually things unfolded. So it's it was very good. Fourth on my list is a book called Waiting for Elijah by Kate Wilde. And that was a uh, very good nonfiction about um, about the shooting of a young boy, uh, a young man, I should say, I suppose, shooting of a young man by a policeman in um, in New South Wales, a uh, mentally disturbed young man. And it's, she really expands the book into talking about uh, how the police do deal with people who are mentally ill and uh, how of, often uh, their encounters end up uh, fatally for the for the uh, person who's mentally ill. And fifth on my list is uh, Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth by A.V. Loeb. A uh, very short book, but uh, it uh, sets out his theory that um, uh, the uh, interstellar uh, body, uh, which was detected coming into our solar system, Oumuamua, uh, could have been a, a, an alien light sail. It doesn't, it doesn't um, insist on that interpretation, but he, he's, he just points out that other explanations don't really seem to fit the facts. So that was very good. Uh, Honourable mention, I would say, uh, Dead Wake uh, by Eric Larson, which is about the last crossing of the Lusitania, uh, which was sunk by a German submarine in, uh, in World War I. Good stuff. Okay. Um, I only read nine books during the year, again, less than I should have, uh, in the category that you could uh, title non-fiction. Uh, the first, or the best of those, is Fathoms, The World in the Whale by Rebecca Giggs, which I um, extolled the virtues of uh, probably in our last... I think so. Um, I think it was probably in our last one, about a month ago. I think ago. so, yeah. Uh, an excellent book uh, by an Australian author basically, about whales and the way that um, the whale is a world unto unto and within itself, but also how the whale interacts with the rest of the world. And some very interesting things about how... Well, it's just some wonderful, um, although not exactly that um, appetising a... Uh, uh, a note where she says basically that the number of whales that were taken out of the ocean um, from you know during during the period when there was a lot of whaling around actually reduced the amount of whale feces in the subantarctic waters, which reduced the number of the uh, protoplankton that was there that fed on that, and the protoplankton uh, ate that, but also um, consumed uh, carbon dioxide. And so that the problem that you have is without, frankly, the whale shit, there's more carbon dioxide. Uh, and you get those funny things about that. And then you get the funny things about the concept of uh, what she re- refers to as whale fall, which is uh, when a whale dies and, and what happens to it as it gradually sinks down through the ocean, down to the ocean floor. And 
and the idea that there are a number of creatures who are completely dependent on whale carcasses for their survival. It's a, I know it sound, sounds terrible, but this is a, just a wonderful book. I really, really enjoyed this. Mm. Um, and uh, it it came out of nowhere. I read a review of it in the New York Review of Books, went down, picked it up from the library and, and was just fascinated by it, absolutely fascinated by it. Uh, number two for me was A Cook's Tour by Anthony Bourdain. This is A Cook's Tour in Search of a Perfect Meal uh, that he wrote uh, around about the time that he was starting to do his television um, his television series of his excursions, the ones that I'm gradually working my way through for um, on, on television at the moment. He writes the way that he talks, and so that when you read... Uh, the pieces from a cook's tour you can just hear his voice in your head um, saying these things he was um, a curious intelligent uh, traveler uh, he was uh, world 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 renowned uh, for his writing and his um, his just interest in other people around him but he suffered greatly from depression and ended up taking his own life about three or four years ago, which was a great loss. Uh, but he was um, a very, very intelligent man and a great writer, a really great writer. Uh, number three, A Premonition by Michael Lewis. Uh, this is by the author of such books as The Big Short, The New New Thing, uh, Moneyball, um, and a number of other books that he has written. Moneyball is probably the best known because it was made into the film with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, which was quite excellent, and that was about baseball. And I've always recommended that book to people, and they say, I don't like baseball. So you don't have to like baseball. It's sort of, baseball is just there. It's the framing artwork. It's what happens within it. It's about projects and people management and how people use their own um, prejudices to change um people's views of what goes on. But that's Moneyball. Pre- um, the, the, a, a premonition is about the way the US set up under George W. Bush uh, a mechanism whereby they would have an infrastructure in place when a viral pandemic hits, which was great. You think, fantastic, that's really, really good. Except Donald Trump came in and then just dismantled the whole thing. Yep. Uh, George Bush and then um, uh, Obama, uh, those those administrations set up a whole uh, sort of strategy and a whole document and a whole template for what you have to do when uh, you get one of these things, and it was just completely and utterly ignored. And so uh, Lewis tells this in uh, a beautiful way by because he Lewis always finds the people that are involved in the story. So you get the story, but you get it through from their particular person. And he looks for that focal point person, the one, regardless of whether they were high up in an organisation or, or down the bottom or even right at the very bottom, he doesn't, doesn't care. He tracks down that particular person and tells the story from their point of view and how it interacts with everybody else. And he just does it in such a wonderful way. And if you want to find out about Anything that he deals with, you really have to basically read his books because he's just he's just a wonderful writer all, all the way. Uh, my last one, number four, because I've only got four of the nine that I read that I want to put in here, is Falling Towards England by Clive James. This is the second in his 
unreliable memoirs series of uh, autobiographies. Uh, it was the second of three in the very first section that he did. The third one, May week was uh, May week was June. Really didn't cut it in my view. It just read like it was done to contract. It was oh, I've got to get this out. I've got to get this finished. And it, all the stuff from the earlier ones, like the very first one, Unreliable Memoirs, is a fantastic coming-of-age story of the young Clive James as he comes from mm-hmm. uh, short pants all the way right up into university, and it ends with him leaving to go to London as part of that sort of uh, diaspora that included, um, you know, Barry Humphreys and Bruce Beresford and um, Jermaine Greer and Robert Hughes and all those other people, mostly from Sydney but some from Melbourne as well, that all went off to live in London in the in the 60s. This particular book starts where he is about to land in England. So it's almost like it's a exact continuation of the first volume. Not quite as good as the first volume, but still pretty damn good, better than the third. So they are, they are my four. I don't have any um, honourable mentions. So best overall, I think we're up to. Yes, best overall. We, um, we're going to have a look at top five. So do you want to, head, do you want to lead us off? Just top five, all right. Oh, you get some honourable mentions in there. Look, if you, need oh, okay, stretch, if you need to stretch it by a couple, I'm not going to no, complain. No, no, that's fine. All right, well, it's pretty easy, really, to do my uh, my top five. Um, best overall book for the year, Bewilderment by Richard Powers. Definitely the best book I read all year. Terrific book. Uh, loved it. Uh, second book, uh, The Rain Hone, which you've been trying to get me to read for ages, and I really, really enjoyed it once I got to it. Third book, uh, Eden by Candice Fox. Uh, say the best, I think, uh, in her first trilogy. Fourth book, uh, The Labyrinth by Amanda Lowry. Uh, and fifth book, uh, Notes from the Burning Age by Claire North. That's my f- top five. So honourable mentions, mm, goodness me, could be so many. Um, the End of the World is Bigger Than Love, uh, Clarissa. Uh, the Kingdoms. I could go to, to, down to ten, but I, I won't. I'll stop there. Oh, good. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, the, the, so that, that, that's actually quite a good range of um, a, a good range of books, and this is why we've been talking in the past about reading across genres and reading lots of different stuff because you can see how uh, the differences merge and separate and merge into each other it's really um, uh, it, it, but it also just rounds out your whole reading year if you just read the one genre or one type all the time yeah. you're, you're going to get sort of stale in that particular area yeah. you don't really want to do that you want no. to basically give yourself a good view all the way right across okay I'm going to cheat that's alright go ahead because I'm last I can cheat um, my first one is the Earthsea Trilogy alright that's okay. uh, I put all three of them in together the um uh, the a Wizard of Earthsea, Tombs of Atuan, and uh, the uh, the Father Shaw. Uh, they would have all ended up in my all three would have ended up in my top five. So I thought, well, I'll just cheat and chuck them all in together, and you know, people can complain. Write in and tell us how bad I am about that. <laughs> That's a good idea. Uh, second, Fathoms: The World in the Whale by Rebecca Giggs. I just spoke about this one a few minutes ago, and um, uh, yes, I said I really really enjoyed these. Enjoyed that one. Uh, third, Ordinary Grace, William Kent Kruger, crime novel, best of the crime novels that I read this year. Wonderful stuff. Third, uh, fourth rather, A Cook's Tour by Anthony Bourdain. Again, I just spoke about it. And fifth, Crossing the Lines by Solari Gentile. Mm. So we've got one fantasy trilogy, 
um, two non-fiction and two crime. So there's no science-fiction here at all. Nothing. There was nothing really in the science-fiction field that, especially new stuff, that basically stood up and punched me in the face and said, oh, this is absolutely spectacular. My honourable mentions are two science-fiction pieces, Jude by Frank Herbert and Behold the Man by Michael Moorcock. Um, they are, again, worth worth reading, but they were rereads, and so it was you know, sort of a bit secondary, I guess, if you want to put it that way. So uh, they're, my, they're my five. There you go. Very good, yes. Well, an excellent year's reading, I would say. Oh, I think it was. I think there was a fair bit uh, that we a fair bit that we got to. Um, uh, as I said, I didn't necessarily read as many as I wanted to. I didn't um, hit a number of the targets that I set myself. And I know we've had this discussion previously about me being stupid about setting targets, but the idea is for me, and I'll reiterate this, is that it sort of keeps me on track. If I look at it and I find out that I'm reading far too many books by men and not enough by women, I'll go out of my way to say, well, I need to read some, I need to read some crime, I want to read some crime novels, I'll choose some crime novels by women. If I find that I'm not getting books in translation, I'll, because you can get to the end of the year, if you're not keeping track of where you are, you suddenly realize, well, I'm just not keeping up with, you know, something that, you know, really needs to be, um, uh, really needs to be looked at. And I need to look at uh, that particular area. So while I don't necessarily hit all of my categories, I do have targets. But I don't cut myself down and cut myself up because I haven't actually met those targets. But they are there to guide me along during the year. That's uh, that's the reason why reason why I do it. Um, was this year as good as uh, the previous one? Yeah, maybe not. Uh, but I did read some new stuff that uh, I thought was excellent, um, especially in the crime area, uh, and uh, also some in the um, non-fiction area. Well, for me, certainly, I think this was a better year than last year, but um, not not by a huge amount, I suppose. But yeah, I, I really, uh, I really had some uh, some good reads this year, so I, uh, I was really pleased by that. Yeah, so good year all round. I think. All right, cool, good. Well, I think we're about done then, David. I think so. We've been talking for quite a while. Been talking for quite a while, but uh, but that's good. Next episode, we're still trying to work out what we're going to be doing for the next episode, but yeah. we'll, we'll figure that out. The next. We'll um, Yes, we've got a um, I've got a few people lined up to um, talk to about their best books of the year. One of the, some of those, one or more of those might come up in the next episode. But we'll take that as it goes. We don't want to basically throw too much of um, uh, of the one type of thing in after this major episode that we've done. But uh, then we'll be back again later in the year, David. Okay, all done. See, yep, I think we are. All right. Thanks, David. All right. Talk to you again next time. Now, just letting you know that our next episode will be in three weeks' time, out on the 25th of January. We've decided that after nearly three years of recording episodes every two weeks, that this year we're going to ease off on the pedal a little bit and we'll go to a three-weekly rather than fortnightly schedule. That'll give us a bit more time to read the books we talk about and we hope that you'll still enjoy listening to us every three weeks. 